Hey, more buddies. Katie here. I just wanted to put a little disclaimer before our episode today, just to let you know that unfortunately something happened with our recording where you're going to hear a little bit of an echo on my side of things. We don't totally know what happened just yet. We're in the process of figuring it out to make sure we don't have to deal with it in future episodes. But I just wanted to give you a heads up. You are still going to absolutely love this episode. So excited for you to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for joining us at the Morbid Museum. Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and... Luke Boyd. Hello, everybody. Hi, Luke. How are you? Katie. Hi, hon. How you been? (laughs) Hiya, Fran. Welcome back. (laughs) Thanks, dude. Uh, I am so looking forward to today's episode. It's Mm. one I've been planning for a while, and I actually even gave a little hint about it in our dance macabre episode. This is like, yeah, second part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you recall, I alluded to dancing and death coming down the pipeline, and here we are. We're there. So welcome to Choreomania, a.k.a. the Dancing Plague. Great. So today I'll be talking about Choreomania, but, but more specifically the Dancing Plague of 1518. Uh, okay. There have been a bunch of dancing little outbreaks here and there. Crazy. Uh, but the 1518 one is one of the best documented and therefore the most famous as a result. And this episode is a little bit different than some of our other ones because, you know, we're usually talking about something more concrete, like an artifact or a place, but this is an event. So, uh, our our conclusion at the end talking about you know where you can see this or whatever is going to be a little bit different but we'll we'll get there when we get there sounds in, great for a podcast <laughs> it's perfect mm-hmm. so in the meantime let's begin by defining the term choreomania if we break it down we can see two words uh choreo or choros which clearly means dance Mm-hmm. If you're a choreographer, you are mm-hmm. a maker of dance. Uh, and then the second part being mania, which would directly translate into madness. These are, of course, these are Greek in origin, both of right. these words. So there are documented cases of dancing plague beginning as early, possibly as early as the seventh century. Whoa. Isn't that wild? So this is an ancient malady completely whoa and again that's on record maybe it had happened before who knows bizarre it totally bizarre and then it just kind of happened intermittently here and there until about the 17th century when then it didn't happen anymore right because we all lost our rhythm (laughs) (laughs) there was the the dancing vaccine came in remember that when we all got the dance vaccine (laughs) all the white people got the dance vaccine (laughs) Oh, sad oh dear. Oh, dear. Uh, so anyway, uh, this happened in various locations throughout Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in fact, you may be more familiar with a dance called the Tarantella. Yes, very Italian. It is Italian. Mm. Um, and that actually, that name Tarantella comes from... <laughs> He's making spider hands at me. Correct. <laughs> it does sound like tarantula because the dance is supposed to be, you know, you're dancing out the poisonous venom of a spider that's bitten you or from being in contact with someone who has been bitten by a spider. So this I is, love it. Yeah. So it's known as tarantism. Whoa. So that's its own. It, that's Italy's version of okay. a dance plague. Okay. okay. So that tells you a lot is that there's even in different languages, there's different words for this, which is super cool. So let's talk about the symptoms. Okay. So it's described as a sudden onset of dancing that seems involuntary and very intense in nature. Sometimes it's some of the stuff refers to it as uh, twitching and wild movements of the arms and legs, um, but they are dancing. It's not just like violent movement or anything like that. Right. Um, and it seems to be often done with little enjoyment by the mm. participant. Mm. And it can go on for hours to days to weeks to months. I hate this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In worst case scenario, you're uh, having terrible injuries as a result of incessant dancing. And the absolute worst case scenario is uh, you're dying from exhaustion, heart attack, or stroke. Oh, my God. Yeah. So this is not like spasms, not like a seizure. It's rhythmic no, and somehow, dancing... Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about sort of what has been the theories and suspicions over the last several hundred years wow. as we move further through the episode. But from all the accounts, I can tell you up front, it doesn't sound like seizure. It doesn't right. sound anything like epilepsy or anything like that, because that, right. that is a common theory. What they might call like a fit. You're having a fit. Right, yeah. right. No, that's not mm. what we're talking about. So mm -hmm. again, we'll come back to that. But for now, uh, how the fuck did this happen? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> how did this start? Right. Um, so here we are. It's 1518 in a little town called Strasbourg. Uh, and that is located in Alsace, mm -hmm. uh, which is a region of France, in case you are unaware. And it sits right on the Rhine by Switzerland and Germany. So a lot of these names are going to sound like weird Frenchy, Germany, Swissy hybrid. Right. Like I'll <laughs> say, like I'll say right? It's, like, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's all, it, it is technically French though. Right. Um, and th this all made me laugh so much when it was talking about where it was in terms of the Rhine and Switzerland and Germany, because this is a great moment to tell you, Luke, I don't think you know this about me. Besides math, which, my God, I am so, so stupid when it comes to math. <laughs> One of my greatest failings in life is geography. Well, the American school system set you up to fail in that <laughs> oh regard. We all are pretty God. challenged in that regard. I feel like people who you could just name a little tiny European country and they could tell you all of its borders, the main water sources that run through them. Those people are magicians to me because that shit is beyond my capabilities. Yeah, I remember growing up, there was a geography bee 
locally. Oh, kill and I me. thought, and I was just like, this, you must have just studied all out of school. You did not get this from the curriculum. Like you just, <laughs> you're just a savant who knows the globe, you know, but we don't, we're very insular. We're, we're very ignorant. But I don't even know where all the states are. <laughs> <laughs> there's no excuse that's a literal i have a, I have a spatial disorder. spatial challenge yeah <laughs> it's okay so i think i got this right for this particular episode but i i needed to come clean on that right up front no, i'll bear with you <laughs> thank you <laughs> so uh as i mentioned this is the most famous outbreak on record and most of what we know about it comes from a variety of chronicles from the time, okay. which would be, you know, like essentially new newspaper, if if you want to simplify it like that. But it's it's essentially people who are the earliest historians. They're chronicling the events as they're happening. Um, and then from artwork, artists observing and making engravings and um, paintings based on the event. Mm -hmm. And this, again, this is so much like what we talked about with the dance of death. It's the same, same kind of thing. Right. The pictorial record. Correct. Allegorical. That that's, mm -hmm. that's meant to tell us most of the story, which is why this story is a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, shaky <laughs> in terms of its facts. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, we're doing what we can with what we've got. Uh, one of the... Evidence in air quotes. Evidence, yes. Big air quotes around evidence. Uh, but one of the best accounts was written by a physician known as Paracelsus. Have you ever heard of him before? No, he sounds he cool. He's apparently like a big deal for the time period. Uh, if you're into like esoterics and stuff, you know a lot about him. It sounds um, like a Steven Soderbergh space movie or something. It kind of does, <laughs> That's great. Um, and can I also just take a second to just marvel at archival practices throughout the ages? I mean, <laughs> like as a museum person, I am constantly in awe of what written materials still exist. Mm. And it's just, it's phenomenal that things have stood the test of time. Like they're, it's wild to think that we have things from the plague, right? The 1300s earlier. I mean, it's, it's, I will always, always give all the props and all the credits to conservators and archivists. You guys are amazing at what you do. It's and true. never forget that when you're in a museum. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, there's a reason we have acid free storage because we want to keep these things for another millennia. Hell yeah. Hell Not yeah. Getting easier. Mm -mm. So, that applause out of the way. Uh, so back to our story. It all begins on July 14th, 1518, when a woman by the name of Frau Trofia from the city <laughs> of Strasbourg, uh, she leaves her house and just begins to dance. She danced for hours upon hours. Until oh, she finally. What's that? Oh, Fraulein, I said. <laughs> no, she's not a Fraulein. She's a Frau. She's married. God. <laughs> so uh, Frau Trofia danced for hours upon hours until she finally collapsed in total exhaustion and she slept. When she awoke, she resumed her dance as if nothing had happened. That went on for a third day and a fourth day. And again, she only occasionally stopped when her body basically would just give out. Wow. 
Yeah. So while we, we can't know for certain what she was feeling or thinking during the dance, based on the chronicles written at the time, it's believed that she seemed pretty unhappy doing the dance, that it seemed that it was a compulsion rather than a choice. In fact, uh, you know, <laughs> that is, that's a pivot from what they originally say, because mm. <laughs> one of the earlier theories was that she was just fucking with her husband. <laughs> trying to mentally terrorize her husband yeah yeah like she, like he wouldn't take out the garbage she was like oh yeah check me out yeah i'm gonna do some elaine <laughs> kicks for like four days <laughs> fuck you <laughs> um but uh you know pretty much after a day or so everyone was like um this is a lot <laughs> I don't think she's kidding. <laughs> we should probably help her. But how do right. we help her? So after four or six potentially days, uh, <sighs> authorities finally step in and just they take her away. They're like, she's got to go. We got to go take her somewhere. And I'll come back to that in one second. Um, because in the meanwhile, the damage was done. And ultimately, 50 to upwards of 400 other people caught her dance fever. You're kidding. No. <laughs> so it's contagious. Uh, yes. As we know, dance fever is contagious. No laughing matter, apparently. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Although here I am hysterically laughing about it. Yeah. That um, is wild. It's crazy. And again, I just said 50 to 400. That's a really yeah. good example of that's a wide margin. Of the error. challenges yeah. of this kind of content. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but even 50 is a lot. 50 is enough. 50 Have is you enough. ever been at a wedding when no one is dancing and like two people get up and you're lucky if even one more person gets up? <laughs> it was contagious. We could use some of that. Seriously. So these accounts go on to say that, uh, you know, this dancing was really awful to watch because people were getting hurt and some claim that people were dying upwards of 15 people a day is recorded in some of this stuff. Wow. There's a lot of dispute over whether or not anybody actually died. Right. The numbers, the numbers are sus for sure. Yeah. It literally, there's one that said the dancing went on and people died. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not really great. Great information. Tweet. Yeah. Thank you. Raghead 41. Yeah. <laughs> Strazzy dad, 1532. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the wounds alone you would, you would get from this. They talk about just bloodied feet down to like, you know, the, tissue and the bone and no. they would even break their ribs oh. from the incessant movement i mean i don't know how some of these people were fucking dancing but I mean. this is like possession level of like of like self-harm that you can't control it's bizarre yeah so that's i'm glad you mentioned that because that's going to get us into what were some of the theories then okay. at the okay. time immediately people ha are trying to get a hold on what the fuck is happening because we have to stop this mm -hmm. so what's really interesting is that there seem to be dueling approaches here and we see this same thing during the other plagues as well so you have the clergy and you have the physicians yes right the battle lines are drawn always <laughs> so 
when it starts, the immediate first response is, oh, it's the devil. They're possessed by the devil. Obviously. Yeah. Because isn't it always the devil's fault? And what a cruel joke on the devil, too. Like, <laughs> I'll get you, my pretty. Dance, dance. <laughs> dance. Till you die. Uh, and because also with this, in this time period, with the type of dancing that they were doing, it it's so indulgent to mm. seem so carefree. It's not very humble. It's certainly not very Christian. It's lacking restraint. Those are all things that make you a good Christian, right? Right. A good Catholic, specifically. Mm. So it would stand to reason that people would think that these individuals just have to be possessed. Right. You're, by seeking, the devil. A, you're seeking attention. Yeah. And and that also, I think, for in the Christian church, that also brings up bad feelings of paganism, right? And worship uh, in a way that we don't worship like that in this church. <laughs> so no, this is very like Dionysus, like, you know, yeah, it's a part passion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we don't want none of that in the Catholic. <laughs> no church. fun. No fun. Get out of here. Play me a dirge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but quickly they're like, no, no, this isn't the devil. This isn't from below. Mm -hmm. This is from above. Oh, as I'm sure you know, Luke, and I'm sure many of our listeners know, the medieval god was not a kind one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. No, he was not. Uh, people at this time firmly believed that God and the saints were capable of great punishment. For example, the bubonic plague, which was, you know, clearly a result of bad morals versus, I don't know, fleas. Right. Contagion. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Hmm. Um, so in this particular instance, the clergy believed that this was a result of a very vengeful saint by the name of Saint Vitus. Hmm. Interesting. Do you know anything about him? No. I hadn't either prior to this stuff. Um, he is the patron saint of dance now. Interesting. But yeah, <laughs> St. Vitus was a Sicilian saint who was martyred in 303. Early. Yeah. And so in Strasbourg, people firmly believed that if you were a sinner, he would be so pissed that he would curse you with uncontrollable dancing. Okay. So the clergy felt like, okay, so the way to fix this, the way to cure this illness is we have to have these people make pilgrimages to a shrine to St. Vitus right. where they can beg for forgiveness and, and make an offering, make an offering. Yeah. And so that is where they carted Frau Trophia off to. They took her to oh. the, the closest shrine was in a uh, Savern. And so she was, she was taken there in hopes that that would help fix her. But on the other side, you have our physicians, our science minded people who are saying, you idiots. This is ridiculous. It's overheated blood. <laughs> <laughs> the blood's too warm, of what course. Are you stupid? Oh, okay, cool. So in my mind, I thought, okay, so then did they try bloodletting? Because that's always, you know. The go-to. The go-to at the time. But they had this brilliant idea, which I cannot wait to tell you this. This is my favorite part of this story. I'm percolating. <laughs> The physicians and the town authorities thought, okay, maybe these bitches just need to dance it out. <laughs> no. 
So, and listen, we've all been there. Sometimes you really do just need to dance it out. I just need to dance. <laughs> I just need to dance. So they think, all right, let's hire some musicians. Let's set up a stage. We're going to hire professional dancers. Like, really get after it. Oh, boy. So, St- Strasbourg's hottest club is Blood Feet. <laughs> <laughs> and they go for it. Uh, and guess what? What? It super doesn't work. <laughs> I know what we'll do. We'll have a dance party. People who are sick with dance fever. Maybe it'll spread to other people. It does. It did. And and it did. did. It sure did. Uh, oh. yes, some chronicles state that as a result of that, more people joined in the dance. Like it only could have been worse if they gave them Molly and glow sticks at that point. Oh my God. This is so twisted so great it's so crazy these poor people it's horrible yeah i mean they're being tormented they really are um so realizing how badly they had screwed this up the privy council uh <laughs> decides okay well we have to tear down all these stages this was a very bad idea As the dance is illegal it's footloose now no <laughs> that's what they do they forbid any and all dancing yeah movement counter movement need no, your reaction exactly yep. mm-hmm. according to um a Strasbourg chancellor by the name of uh, Sebastian Brandt. There were some exceptions. He says, if honorable persons wish to dance at weddings or celebrations of first mass in their houses, they may do so using stringed instruments, but they are on their conscience not to use tambourines and drums. Cause let's be honest. <laughs> once you get the motherfucking tambourines out, yeah. it's over. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's great. So only you can only you can only listen to the dance macabre in your house, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Else is illegal. Strictly strings. That's the CD someone came out with at the time. <laughs> 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 so yeah, they're they're doing a great job, and the town's like, all right, maybe we need to go back to the clergy's theory. Let's round all these people up, cart them away. It seems like they're having some success with this St. Vitus theory right? Uh, because Frau Trofa did stop dancing. Okay. Um, so at the city's expense, they take them away in little, little packs at a time. As soon as people start having signs of the plague, they cart them off to the shrine and their poor, bloodied, exhausted feet are placed into these red shoes and they're led around this wooden figurine of the saint. They have holy water on their feet. And eventually the dancing stops. But they're literally like danced all the way there. There's paintings of this and oh drawings of this showing like these people with agonized looks on their faces being lured out of the town. It's it's crazy. It really is. So they hop, um, skipped, and jumped and danced to their way. To... <laughs> and and if they could get them in a cart, throw them in a cart. Yeah, put in a dancing cage. Yeah. So <sighs> the dancing plague ultimately died out, oddly. This mm. went on for about a month or so from about that date I gave you in mid-July to late August or even early September. Wow. So it's really inexplicable. Hmm really why it started and why it ended. Right. And I mean, to me, it's like, did the St. Vitus thing help because 
there was something about being in a shrine of a saint that brought like a calming presence. Like it was mm-hmm. more meditative. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I, or just like understanding that you were given a reason like, Oh, you, you've angered this saint. This will deliver you from right. this illness. If you right. show repentance and it got them to refocus. I don't know. I have right. no like, idea. Like the spiritual neuron, the intent, right? Like a, like a prayerful intent could calm the mind like almost psychosomatically that like that's a really interesting because we're not we're not contending that there's we're very deistic here we're very you know <laughs> <laughs> so so let's talk about the modern theories then because sure. um you know our 21st century brains as you're saying luke we we can say with a lot of confidence this probably wasn't <laughs> the saint 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 vitus <laughs> nor was it hot blood hot blood um, Hot blooded. That's all I have been singing this whole time that I've been researching this. I've been dancing since a quarter to three. <laughs> Amazing. So anyway, I think we might have the dancing play. Yeah, no. <laughs> like I have laughing jags. I've never had a dancing jag. <laughs> but I'm into it. Oh my god. So here are some of the theories that have evolved over time. One theory, and you're going to like this one, one theory that is incredibly common is that these people were suffering from ergot poisoning. Ooh. For all you Salem witch trial nerds, you've probably heard of this theory before. Uh, Ergotism was an absolute scourge that had been seen for hundreds of years, and it's caused by a parasitic fungus found in wheat, particularly barley, It's also known as uh, St. Anthony's fire or holy fire, and it can cause you to hallucinate. And in addition to that, there's sort of these two different strains. There's one that's the convulsive strain where you'll have these intense, painful seizures and convulsions, spasms, severe gastrointestinal upset, total psychosis and mania. And if that's not bad enough, you could have the gangrenous version. Oh, how lovely. There's a second option. Yeah. (laughs) If that doesn't suit you, (laughs) how about if your skin and flesh falls off? (laughs) It's very extreme differences between the two. So ergot poisoning is really bad. Scary. Really, really bad. Its death rates can be between 10 to 20% during a very severe outbreak. And again, this is just from... I baked some bread and ate it. Exactly. 50 to 500 people at a time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Easy to take somebody, at t- to take out entire families. Um, so while this theory is interesting and absolutely terrifying, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Because given the symptoms I just listed out for you, these people would have been way too sick to keep going the way that they did. Right. Debilitating. Like too many days, months, mm-hmm. weeks. Are you kidding me? My impression of ergotism is you get it, and if you survive it, it's you recover fairly quickly, and if you don't, you die fairly quickly. Right. You just I don't think down. it's months of this insanity. Strange. Yeah. So not to mention, you know, these, like I said, it doesn't sound like from these descriptions people are having seizures or spasms. You know, you already kind of mentioned... <laughs> Unless they're dancing like Elaine from Seinfeld. (laughs) There's no reason to think that's what's going on. In fact, a scholar, his name is John Waller, and he is basically the leading expert. 
on Dancing Plague. He says, this theory does not seem tenable since it is unlikely that those poisoned by ergot would have danced for days at a time, nor would so many people have reacted to this psychotropic chemicals in the same way. Hmm. The ergotism hmm. theory also fails to explain why virtually every outbreak occurred somewhere along the Rhine and Moselle rivers, areas linked by water, but with quite different climates and crops. Because That's interesting. Yeah. So we, I mentioned there were many other outbreaks essentially of the dancing plague and within this time period they're all in that same area there's a clusters yeah yeah so mm. it doesn't make sense that it would be ergot also for the record i will talk about this in the future but it's also not the reason why the salem witch trials happened <laughs> but i call just, it just so you know mega bullshit on that one but anyway not relevant today we'll come back to it Thinking in that same vein of, of an actual illness, there were people who thought it was encephalitis, epilepsy, typhus. But mm. honestly, while all of these illnesses have something in common with this dance mania, they can't account for all the symptoms or the, the severity of the symptoms that you get with these other things. It just doesn't match. It just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel comfortable debunking <laughs> the uh actual medical illness whether poisoning or you know some sort of inherited disease or contracted illness i don't think that's what's going on gotcha another popular theory that actually started almost right away was that uh it was bullshit that it was all staged a farce yes mm. um we love that <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah i love a big fat phony <laughs> Some say this was this was just religious cults and, you know, they were actually organized well in advance. Like this could be early version of what did they call them? They were so oh, the flash mob? Flash mobs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> These are the earliest versions of flash mobs. And that's all like, again, that's very pagan. Yeah. So you could see why they'd want to do that maybe on the down low. Mm -hmm. And that stuff w was absolutely banned at the time to do any of that kind of ritualistic dancing. That was not okay. So if you hit it by being like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't, this isn't my choice. <laughs> sus. Also sus. <laughs> Very sus. Yeah. So I don't buy that either. It's fun it's, to think about, but yeah. Yeah. Unlikely. Again, a lot of the other scholars who say it wasn't staged are like, there's just, they work from all different places it just, it doesn't make sense. They couldn't they coordinate a flash mob in the 1500s. Come on. No. <laughs> as hilarious a thought as that is. I love the idea. I do too. The next and most common theory that has continued to be held to this day is that it was some form of mass hysteria or a mass psychogenic illness. Here we go. So yeah, mm, let's get down to it. So uh, that would be, you know, Many individuals are suddenly exhibiting the same bizarre behavior. But, you know, let's ask the question, so why? What would have caused this sort of collective mental breakdown? Right. To answer that question, we need to take a quick look at what Strasbourg was like at that time. Things had been going not so good <laughs> for a while, uh, particularly in the three years prior to this dance, Viva. They had just been suffering from awful event after awful event 
You're not even going to be able to handle how insane this list is. So get ready. Okay. There had been numerous bad harvests, which led, of course, to widespread starvation, death, and extreme poverty. Mm. Like poverty we can't fathom. Right. This, of course, is due to severe droughts accompanied by very bad winters. So also terrible climate, bad living conditions, in addition to it's ruining your food and the way that you can make money. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the fun stuff. <laughs> then along comes smallpox. Ooh. Leprosy. Oh, no. The sweating sickness. Oh, that's a new one for me. Oh, oh, I can tell you all about that one later. Uh, the plague. Sure. And syphilis. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> wow. We are hitting them all. Boop, boop, boop. Ooh. So, yeah, pick your poison. Wait, I'm not even done. Oh. Okay. On top of that, there was horrible political instability due to the corruption in the church, which... Come on, man. 16th century, famous for the Catholic Church being absolute trash, right? Yes. Indulgence crazy. Oh, and- yes. They are mm-hmm. forcing high taxes on people who have no money, uh, involuntary tithes. And of course, as you just mentioned, Luke, the incredibly unethical and disgusting practice of indulgences. Yeah. And they were even doing things in the town because the situation had gotten so dire with people being so sick and they were like out of hospital beds. People had nowhere to go. And so the church was like, okay, well, if you give an indulgence, we're going to make sure some of this money goes to securing hospitals and other things like that. And like, I don't remember exactly the number that I saw, but like the teeniest little tiniest amount went towards that. And everything else went in the pockets. Went to the cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. Went to the gold (laughs) throughout the church. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the poor were dying and Mm -hmm. they felt abandoned by their leaders, by their church, and frankly, by their God. Forsaken people suffering immensely. The world is against them. The (laughs) land is is rejecting them. Yeah. And the people who are, you know, holding them hostage for their salvation are just manipulating them at every turn. Horrendously. Yeah. There's a chronicler who literally just said the year 1517 was the bad year. (laughs) And Annis horribilis in the words of the late queen. Oh my God. So horribilis. (laughs) So given all this stress. Quite the milieu you've set here. Yeah. So given all this stress and pain and fear, perceiving this to be a mass psychogenic illness really isn't that bad of a theory. Everybody's just sharing the same experience. Yeah. So one person finally hits that breaking point of, I can't fucking take it anymore. I'm just going to dance. <laughs> like, it, it feels good to dance. We know how that feels. Yes. Right? When you yes. burst out into a euphoric dance, it feels really fucking good. So mm-hmm. imagine you've got you've gone through all of that stuff. Somehow you've lived through all of that stuff. And probably everyone you loved is dead from all right. that stuff. Right. Sometimes you got to dance. Just got to bust out. Yeah. <laughs> 
And it's interesting, too, why this theory also continues to remain afloat is a lot of these other plagues, these dancing plagues, all happened in proximity to other terrible times. I mean, let to be fair, like the medieval period in general is just totally horrible. So right. I don't know how much that it's matters, but relative to us. Yes. Yes. But 1374 is another fairly well-documented dancing plague. Mm. And that's like right after the bubonic plague right. had decimated Europe. So it's so, related to, to collective trauma, to somehow. trauma that it's yeah. a, it's sort of a ultimate release. Yeah. And it's, and, but it's got this level of contagion. Now, there's some scholars who still argue that to classify this as a shared mental illness isn't really accurate, that sure. you could instead argue that it was just this much needed release. Be after all this immense suffering people had endured, they just finally let go, you know? But then they couldn't stop letting go. I mean, but also like that kind of rings true for me. Like, you know, something gets that gets mentioned a lot in these texts, and which, again, why I understand why they say it could be mass hysteria, is because everyone seems to be in a trance. Like dissociating. Exactly. And it's one of the only things, a lot of the Chronicles tell the stories a little bit differently. Some of them don't even talk about Frau Traffa as the first one. Mm -hmm. But they all mention the trance. They all mention they seem out of it, like they're not even there. Was this more prevalent in women or men? So both experienced it, okay. but I will come back to the way women are talked about at the time. Yeah, so right. Put a pin in that for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, so while some say that this trance is a result of mental illness, as we were discussing, it could just be getting caught up in that feeling of once you start, you can't stop. And honestly, I don't know about you, Luke, but I have certainly danced myself into a frenzy where I am just in it. Like when you're out, like actually at a club and dancing. Sure. It's just the atmosphere around you. Like Molly hits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have never. And I would never. But you dance to this fever pitch and you have this release of endorphins. When yes. was the last time any of those people had endorphins? <laughs> that felt good, like serotonin. Right. right. They, they have none of that in their lives. Yeah, you don't get that from doing laundry. No. <laughs> from bringing out your dead. No. Seriously. And then when you, when you end and you're in this place of exhaustion, ugh, it's yeah. like the best tired feeling ever. Sure. Right? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you feel pretty damn good after you dance all night. I mean, I never danced for days or weeks or months, so that's a little more, that's a little extra. But here's the other thing. We use that term trance in terms of club culture also. Trance is a type of music yes. that people listen to. Yes. And isn't the whole purpose of that music to be lost? To lose yourself, yeah. Yeah, to be lost mm. in the dance. And you do use drugs and other things to help you dive deeper into that trance-like state. But the the point is to feel nothing other mm -hmm. than the music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your body then expresses that trance-like state. Yeah, you're it's uninhibited, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting when I've read I've read stuff from like medieval scholars, and then I've actually read stuff by dance scholars, mm. and it's fascinating. Just these different 
thoughts and feelings on it. And actually it, it also made me think of my, um, cause it's obviously part of like doing theater history stuff. You do learn a lot about dance along the way too. And, and dance rituals, you know, dancing and in terms of like trance dancing, that is all over the world mm -hmm. and dance itself has been around since, you know, for ceremonies and rites. that's been around since the beginning of time. Yeah, it's universal. And so, yeah, whether you're you're dancing because you're trying to please deities or maybe your ancestors, whatever the culture requires. But have you ever seen footage of Balinese dancers? Like in Bali? Yeah, doing the tra their trance dancing. I have actually, and it's very. If I'm if I'm getting it right, it's very sort of stilted. There's like a lot of like sharp movements. It's really, it's a, it's a, it's a few different things. The main part of it that stands out the most is that um, it is women doing mm -hmm. the dance Yes, and they sort of begin dancing until they are finally in this full trance state and they proceed to stab themselves with a blade called a Chris, but they are not harmed at all by the stabbing. Mm, I didn't get to that part. So, so yeah. So, yeah. I think you missed that one. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you'd remember if you saw it. Yeah, I've seen like cultural depictions of it, but you know. Um, but I'm sure you've seen other things. What's well, still like, going on too. Absolutely. There's tribes and indigenous people throughout the world that still go into these trance-like states to not only, you know, have these tests of pain and endurance, but also to embody a deity or to embody an ancestor so in order to do that they have to go into this trance during mm. a dance and in the bali dance um that is part of it too that ancestors may come into a dancer and all of a sudden they start to move like them and act like them and talk like them it's really freaky it's very cool and um maybe we can post some footage or i at least can include some links so people can see some examples of sort of this trance dance <laughs> in a larger cultural sense. But yeah, mm -hmm. I think there's something to that theory too of this was just people getting swept up in the moment and not in a way that they were all, they'd all gone insane, but in a way of just like, let's just do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think about like, you know, uh, revival Christian churches in America. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Filled with the spirit. Yeah, sometimes you just get filled with that spirit. And so uh, in all likelihood, we'll probably never actually know or understand mm -hmm. what happened in 1518. But I do want to come back to what you asked me before about women. Because uh, one thing that speaks volumes in this story, and to me is one of the most important parts at the core of it, there is a lot of women hating Mm -hmm. and fear of women's bodies and their sexuality in these writings like that holds up oh, oh do you think yeah. <laughs> our boy uh paracelsus who i mentioned earlier he is perhaps the worst offender in terms of the amount of misogynistic characterizations that he makes about women i mean it, it's terrible so he calls them whores and he's the one 
who surmises that, uh, oh, Frau Trophia, she was definitely doing this to piss off her husband because you know how mm -hmm. women are. Mm -hmm. And all these other women saw her and thought, oh, we'll piss off our husbands too because bitches be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, this is an actual quote from him versus what I just said. <laughs> In order to make the deception as perfect as possible and really give the impression of illness, she hopped and sang, which was almost distasteful to her husband. And that when she and other women who joined her uh, were powered on by, quote unquote, free, lewd and impertinent thoughts. So it's not about her. It's about what, what effect her behavior has on her husband. Right? And isn't that always the case? Everything we women do, it's about you guys. We don't, we don't do anything for ourselves. We don't have our own minds. Our bodies exist for you. Yeah. Take us out on me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You have very little to do with this. <laughs> little skin in the game here. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's it's it is an infuriating pattern. And, you know, as liberated and as free thinking as we are today to constantly confront these same biases and the same overarching thoughts. But it also that's history. And those thoughts go that's back history, centuries. Baby. It goes back a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh <laughs> this guy, here's another fantastic quote from him. Why whores and scoundrels who take pleasure in guitar <laughs> and lute playing, <laughs> which mm -hmm. to me is like the cutest thing ever, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, whores and scoundrels who take pleasure in guitar and lute playing, who satisfy all voluptuousness, bodily pleasure, imagination and fancy, never escape but become ill in such a way that they jump and dance, thus applying what has been their occupation. This dance, which we find in whores, does not come from nature, nor have a natural cause, but it comes from recklessness and disgraceful living in which mm. there is neither reason nor sense. It is for these reasons that they behave so disgracefully and unreasonably. So basically, you've got dance fever because you're a piece of shit. <laughs> right. You are a hedonist. You're seeking pleasure. And you've done it so much that, you know what, Johnny, you did it so much. Your eyes are not crossed. You know, it's mm -hmm. like. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's funny because he's he's a man of science. So he's not going so far as to say as you're being punished by God. But it's like you're being punished just period. biologically. Yeah. 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 And you deserve it. The laws of nature. Because you're loose. You're loot like a mother. <laughs> <laughs> a loot. <laughs> But like, here's the thing to me, even though, and that's the thing, men did participate in the dance as well, mm -hmm. but you know, he, he goes out of his way to blame a woman first, very Adam and Eve. She's right? patient zero. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's her fault. The woman mm -hmm. started it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and here, but if you were a woman, let me just wrap this up by saying this. <sighs> when you come down to it, if you were a woman in 1518, and you had seen all this shit go down and you're someone's fucking property and you had no rights. Wouldn't you maybe just need to fucking dance a little bit to feel better? <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. Yes. A little joy in this world would be nice. So yeah, even if it was started because a woman was tired of everyone's shit, I, I'm totally okay with that. I really don't care. <laughs> I am fine with that theory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, yeah, in conclusion, I think we should all just have more dance parties. The end. <laughs> <laughs> so when was like the last plague? Um, again, like around the 1600s. Oh, so relatively yeah. temporal. Yeah. So it's, mm. um, but then it was just, that was it. And the again the it, I didn't want to cover all of them because it's a it's a lot and also the content the same story you know it's the same story and also <laughs> the content isn't great because yeah. there's there's too many facts that are me I mean as it is I might have just told you a bunch of nonsense <laughs> but right again so much love to our conservatives and archivists this is hard to do to keep track of all this stuff and so you know as a result this was a weird happening more than anything else. So I don't really have a specific site or artifact I can send you to. So, I mean, I guess you could just always go to Strasbourg and start a dance party and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Is there any sort of, I'm curious if there's a commemorative nature to it in, in so, the town. But seriously, you know, what exists that is tangible are what does remain of the chronicles and artworks of the time. Uh, the issue is these are not so easily viewed in person because most of them are just sort of languishing in collections throughout Europe. That's of what survived because a lot of stuff didn't even survive. Like a lot of things, there's no original copies of anything anymore. But here are a few things you could try if you were so inclined. There is a historical society in Strasbourg where they have a lot of these chronicles and documentation. Um, mm. And I know that because so many of the articles and the books that I looked into, they reference this a lot. They reference mm -hmm. the uh, historical society there a lot. So it's safe to assume that they are accessible, although not on view. And <laughs> honestly, why any of you guys would be there. <laughs> I have no idea. But if you do find yourself in Strasbourg and you are really itching to do some further research on this or you're just desperate to read some medieval French chronicles, maybe they'll help you out if you ask nicely. <laughs> so in addition to that, you know, I started looking up some of the artworks and trying to see, okay, where do these live? Mm. What museums are these in? Because all you see when you research this stuff is just copies of copies of copies of prints. Yeah. One thing that was cool that I found was you can see some of the original works of Paracelsus, like some of his actual books that he wrote. That's actually in Switzerland, mm. not far from Zurich, from what I could tell. Everything was not in English. So um, that's tough. Yeah. I know it was really tough, but uh, it's called the, in English, it's called the Museum for Medical History Books. So that oh, in and cool. of itself has got to be a very cool museum. There's got to be something good in there. Yeah. So yeah, um, if you're in the Zurich region, definitely Google that one and maybe you can head over there and check out some of the misogynistic shit that guy wrote. Sure. <laughs> and then uh, looking more at the artwork, I came across another museum called the, God forgive me for this pronunciation, the Museum Bojman van Bieneginnen. Maybe. Anyway, it's in the Netherlands. That's oh, why I gotcha. cannot pronounce it. Sure. Oh, my God. I worked at the Anne Frank Center for a number of years and met so many wonderful Dutch people. And I, I man, I embarrassed myself a lot trying to pronounce things. <laughs> it's not my forte. In case you guys haven't picked that up yet on this podcast. So there, they do have some plague artwork that you could take a look at. And I did reach out to 
the institution specifically to say, hey, is anything on display? And the woman who wrote me back wrote me a very sweet email, but she assured me that nothing is out. I mean, and, that, uh, these things are so old. Yeah. She said, we have a great collection, but nothing, nothing's out on display. Yeah. And the same thing. And, and I even was able to come across something far more local for us in that um, the Detroit Institute of the Arts mm -hmm. actually has a collection of artwork by um, a, a man named Peter Bruegel, the Elder, which is the ballerist name of all time. He did a lot of artwork on the, on the peasantry of the 16th century. Mm. Um, and a lot of his works are often associated with the dancing plague, but I don't know if any of them are currently on display. So, right. so these things are housed in institutions, you know, maybe yeah. you can find a screen grab online or virtual maybe not. way, but so, but this is where we come in handy because here we go in our little museum. I will post photos so you guys can take a look at some of the stuff we're talking about. Um, so you don't have to go to fucking Zurich or, or Strasbourg to try to check this out for yourself. But yeah, this is always going to be a potential outcome when we research these topics that there may not be a particularly impressive museum treatment. So we'll make do with what we've got. The story's the thing, and you told it very nicely. So oh, thank, thank you. you. It's a really interesting subject. And I was really curious to like think about the different thoughts around medicine and medical phenomenon from the mm -hmm. time. Yeah. In the same way we think about how, for example, you know, it's a very popular concept today to think, we were talking about ancient aliens offline before, um, <laughs> about how an ancient alien concept today could have been a, a religious spirit or a god to someone thousands of years ago who didn't Absolutely. have science fiction. And mm -hmm. how a dance... And a, and, a, and a spasm or a seizure or an uncontrolled motion could be conflated, you know, in some way. Absolutely. Even though you've done a really great job of sort of discerning that um, in the in the discussion. So, really but you could also see why someone in the 19th century mm -hmm. would come would potentially try to come to that conclusion because people have been trying to figure this out for hundreds of years. Yeah, this enduring mystery. Yeah, it's wild. It's a crazy story. It really is. And yeah. it's so it's such a, it's like a blip of time too. It seems, I mean, 7 700 to 1600 notwithstanding, but the fact that it's completely gone in terms of our society now. Yeah. Uh, knock on wood. Um, <laughs> I don't know. The last know. thing we need. I'm feeling need. a case of dance fever coming on. <laughs> I love to tell you what. Shoes. All you got to do is put on Rasputin by Boney M and I am there. <laughs> there we go. Good callback. Um, yeah, absolutely. I could dance to that all night. All, all night long. All night. Bleeding feet. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, folks, for joining us for the Morbid Museum podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media on Instagram at The Morbid Museum for more morbid content. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another gallery talk inside The Morbid Museum. Bye. Bye-bye.